And she, he would go several seconds without breathing, and then all of a sudden he'd go, <gasps> and that really, that really worried me. So I sat him up, and, and I, I tried to get him to breathe better, but his breathing got worse and worse. And at about one in the morning, I took him outside in the cold night air to, to try to get him to start breathing better, but he wouldn't. And so Beth and I got him in the car, and we, we drove him to the emergency room. And when we, we got there, I, I, you know, at this time, I don't remember being, ever being so worried as I was at this point in my life. And maybe some of you know that feeling, that, that kind of hysteria. You know, when your firstborn child is suffering and you can't do anything to fix it, it takes everything out of you. And all you can wish is that you are suffering and not him. So after sitting in a curtained hospital room for about an hour, the doctor came, and he, he told us that Finn just had a bad case of croup, and, um, but he told us that there's a possibility that his throat might still close up. And so he called Bronson Hospital in Kalamazoo, and they sent an ambulance. And when the ambulance arrived at around 4 a.m., I was unpleasantly surprised that I couldn't ride with him in, in the back. I had to ride up front with the driver. And so... We, we strapped Finn in the bed and with two strange nurses with him, and we left. And I could see him from the front, and I kept calling back to him. But he was faced the other way, and, and the ambulance was so loud that he couldn't hear me. And he was gasping for breath. His, his gasping for breath was intermixed with his crying and with his screaming for the entire hour. And... Even though I pretty much knew at that point that he was going to be fine, it was killing me. And I wished that I could, I could take his pain and his fear away, but I couldn't. All I could do was watch. That night, I experienced a small fraction of the desperate pain of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Jesus' body, red with dried blood, his face twisted in agony. She would have heard that same sound coming out of Jesus for hours on end that I heard from Phineas. <sighs> but all she could do was watch. You see, when people were crucified, they didn't die from the nails. They didn't die from the blood loss. They died from suffocation. Seven-inch nails were, were driven through the wrists, through the median nerve, which caused immense pain and held the body up in the air. But the weight of the body pulling down on the arms made breathing extremely difficult. And though the feet were nailed too, the victims could kind of push themselves up a little bit to get a breath. But every breath cost them precious strength, and it gave them excruciating pain. And sometimes it took victims a whole day to finally lose their last bit of strength and expire. It was a death that was designed to give the maximum amount of suffering possible for the longest time possible. That's why Cicero, who was a Roman thinker from a century before Christ, he called crucifixion the summum supplicium, the ultimate punishment. Crucifixion was not the ultimate punishment just because it was painful, but also because it was humiliating. Actually, the purpose of crucifixion was to humiliate. Okay? And... There are simpler ways to do away with a man. It's not necessary to whip him over 
and over again with a cat of nine tails, with pieces of glass stuck on the ends. It's not necessary to parade him through the streets in front of thousands of people, carrying his own instrument of torture so that the world could witness his defeat. It was not necessary to strip him naked and hang him on a pole to shame him in front of every man, woman, and child in the city. But crucifixion, after all, was not done for convenience. The cross was designed to rob a man of his dignity. The statement, it made a statement. And the statement very clearly said, you and your nation are not humans, you're animals. And you are not people, but you're slaves, our slaves. Crucifixion was a slave's punishment. You would never crucify an important person. The upper classes, they, they could expect a, a much more humane form of punishment. The Roman writer Juvenal, he shared a, a dialogue from a Roman matron who was angry with her slave and with her husband. She said, crucify that slave. But the husband said, what, what crime is worthy, worthy of death has he committed? Where are the witnesses? Who informed against him? Give him a hearing at least. No delay can be too long when a man's life is at stake. But the wife replied, what a fool are you? Do you call a slave a man? Do you say that he's done no wrong? This is my will and my command. Take it as authority for the deed. The soldiers fastened a sign on Jesus' cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. But that was the joke. You see, the long-awaited Messiah, the king of the world, the rightful heir of the nations, was subjugated to a cross. What sort of king dies a slave's death, naked and alone, abandoned by his followers? Paul wasn't exaggerating when he said, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. The word foolishness comes from our Greek word moria, from which we get our word moron. But it's not that Paul's message was stupid or unintelligent. It was that it was unintelligible. Okay? The message of the cross is madness, might be a better translation. It was crazy talk. It was absurd. It was ridiculous. Something no one in their right mind would believe. Christians honored Jesus as a king, but Rome only crucified people that were slaves and robbers and vagrants. Unimportant people, the scum of the earth. So how could this king have any power whatsoever? How could someone be powerful if they were crucified? They had lost. They'd been defeated. And Christians honored Jesus as a god. But what kind of god could die on a cross? Immortality is in the very definition of the word god. We've, we've recovered a piece of graffiti from the time of St. Paul that kind of encapsulates how the world responded to a crucified Jesus and, and people who worshipped him. This is the picture. It's, the graffiti is called uh, Alexamenos Worships His God. And as you can see, a man is pictured here uh, worshipping a crucified figure with a donkey's head. That's how ridiculous people thought it. A crucified God? It's madness. Nowadays, we hang crosses around our necks. 
We, we put them in our, in our homes as a symbol of hope and inspiration. In Jesus' day, the cross meant something much different. There was no honor in the cross, only humiliation. There was no beauty in the cross, only horror. In, in fact, crucifixion was so disgusting, so revolting that people would not talk about it in polite society. What did the cross give its victims? Only terrible, terrible pain. This, I want you to know, this is the death that Jesus chose to die for our sakes. No one could take his life from him, but he laid it down of his own accord. The Stoic philosopher Seneca he was probably born around the same time as Christ, but he, he didn't seem to know anything of him. He said this about crucifixion. He said, can anyone be found who would, be, who would prefer wasting away in pain, dying limb by limb, or, or letting out his life drop by drop rather than expiring once for all? Can any man be found willing to be fastened to the accursed tree, long sickly, already deformed, swelling with ugly wheels on his chest and shoulders and drawing the breath of life amid long, drawn-out agony. He would have many excuses for dying even before he mounted the cross. Can anyone be found? The answer to Seneca's question is yes. Just one. Can anyone be found who would purposely humble themselves to a slave's death. Just one. Can any king be found who would be willing to give up his power and his wealth to hang naked on a tree? There's one. Can any god be found who would step down from his throne in heaven, which he's occupied since the beginning of time, and die for the selfish creatures that he has made, Thank God, there is one. There is one. Jesus. The message of the cross may be unintelligible madness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Once, you were alienated from God. You were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. That is power. But even so, what could possibly possess a man to face the horror of the cross by his own choice? There's one word, Easter. Easter. If there is no Easter, Christ died for nothing. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. If Christ has not been raised, our faith is futile and we're still in our sins. But Christ is risen. He is risen indeed, right? He suffered on Friday but he is now raised on Sunday. 
He was humiliated when he was raised up on a cross, but he has been raised in much higher glory because of Easter. He saw through the dark night of the cross to the glorious dawn of the resurrection. Do you remember what the author of Hebrews said? He said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It was for the joy of Easter that he willingly suffered. It was in the hope of the resurrection that he was able to endure the hardships of this life. Who's lived a more sacrificial life than Jesus? He who, though he was rich, for our sakes became poor. He who had no place to lay his head. Who has suffered more unjustly than him? Who has been so falsely accused, so wrongly criticized, so unfairly stepped on, so deprived of his rights? Who has been so harshly beaten, so dishonorably mocked, so unlawfully put to death? Who has been punished so severely for a crime that they didn't commit? Jesus not only endured suffering, he courageously chose it. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins, our sins, in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. Christ endured it all, even death on a cross, because he knew that the resurrection was coming. Easter made it worth all the effort. For the joy set before him, he endured. So consider him. Consider him. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you do not grow weary and lose heart. Do you know what this day means? Do you know what this day means? Because of Easter, we have the same joy set before us that Jesus had set before him. Our resurrection is coming so we can endure it all. Because of Easter, our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. And even while we continually struggle through the difficulties of this life, we have this hope and this promise that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has even imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So why do you let work overwhelm you? Why do you let your boss dishearten you? Why do you let finances worry you? Your family tear you up inside. Why do you let temptations still conquer you? Your enemies get to you. Your health problems burden you. Today is Easter. And God has already begun to raise the dead in us. We have the joy of our coming resurrection to help us endure through every circumstance. 
We have the example of Christ to encourage our souls. And, though, and through God's great mercy, we have new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Easter is, is not a happy ending to a sad story. Easter is a new beginning to everything coming right again. Our Lord Jesus is the one who achieved it all for us. And that's why we celebrate today. He and he alone has worked salvation for us and he's filled us with an unquenchable hope that even death cannot conquer. We asked earlier who would be willing. Who would be willing to endure the cross? And we know there's only one. But now we ask who is worthy? Who is worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise? There is only one, the lamb who was slain. Who alone is worthy to be exalted to the highest place and to receive the name, the name that is above every name, Jesus Christ, the risen one, our Lord and our God. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Jesus, you alone are worthy. You deserve all praise for what you've done and for who you are. Lord, we can't wait to see you in your glory. Come soon, Lord Jesus. Amen.